Hey, this is Kay, and you're tuned into The Wow Factor. Each week, we talk with passionate guests who shed light on all things wellness. Join our conversations and find inspiration to live well, be well, and discover your wealth of wellness. Today's guest is Megan Myrdal, a registered dietitian, farmer's daughter, and just general enthusiast for all things food and farming. What started as a love of spending time on a family farm in Northeast North Dakota and obsessively watching the Food Network, it was the early days, don't judge her, transpired into degrees from Concordia College and NDSU in food and nutrition and a career working to celebrate, connect, and empower our food community. Megan's work experience has spanned the food industry, including nutrition and culinary education, food systems policy, farmers market development, agriculture marketing, and higher education. Through all of this work, Megan has learned that people who care deeply about food are the best people on the planet. And getting to work with, support, and elevate these people is what motivates her every day. Wow, Megan, that is amazing. And thank you so much for being with me today and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I am honored and excited to be here. Well, it's been, I've been kind of meaning to talk to you for a few months now. And it's just been great that the stars kind of aligned and we were able to connect and kind of talk about more about what you're doing in the community of Fargo, as well as globally and all the initiatives that you're doing with food. Um, So I kind of want to dive in and it sounds like you had this great inspiration. I want to hear more about kind of what got you started, what got you passionate about what you do. Oh yeah. It's, um, it's always fun to, you know, think back on um, where things began, you know, and I think many of us um, throughout our lives, we kind of, develop these different passions or um, just general things that we love doing in our life and kind of what what seeded that and what started that. And for me, it was really um, my grandmother, as I think is, it's kind of cliche to say, because I think a lot of people who uh, um, had a close relationship with their grandparents, they, uh, they uh, really instilled um, a lot of their values. Um, but my grandmother, Rosemary, has been passionate about local food and really being thoughtful about where your food is coming from, how it was grown, um, and really being thoughtful about cooking and preparing and managing food before it was trendy. Like this was just, she was the depression era woman and she just really was thoughtful and responsible about what she was doing with food. And she had, um, but she, it wasn't just about wanting to be frugal or, um, or, or that type of thing. She was really, um, really well read and um, really, really exposed to what being a thoughtful food consumer meant on a on a global scale. And she, um, from a young age, exposed me to different writings and different thoughts and and different views um, about a wide range of food topics. And this would be things that we'd talk about working in her kitchen or in her garden. And and thinking back on that, that really is. Um, ultimately why I became a dietitian, why I decided decided I wanted to study food and nutrition, and then within that larger career path, um, kind of carved out an area of really working more in local food development because um, 
there's there's something that's that's just special about that. And and as you said in my intro, um, the people that you get to work with who are the farmers and vendors at farmers marks or markets or the people who are running community gardens or the small businesses that are creating really amazing food products or small restaurant owners. They're just, they're just special people who have so much heart and passion and values behind what they're doing that I, I quickly attached on to the person part of this um, work too. And that's what really um, makes it, makes it all the more fun and fulfilling. Isn't that so true? Like community and it started even with that, that, that community you had like you and your grandma and to start to think back and it, it reminds me so much of my growing up. My mom was an avid gardener and she still gardens and she does the canning and the processing and she's never really thought about in her, on her side, she's always been about, she wanted to give to her kids and she wanted to do that through food. And it, it's been such a great thing to grow up in such a special place like the Midwest where you have those homegrown roots. And, you know, even though we're like in the middle of a kind of a, the biggest city in North Dakota, it's, it's great that you're bringing that sense of that life into the heart of Fargo. And I, I just love what you're doing in the the things that you've grown and you've partnered with and the people, food people are great people. It's, you know, it's never a dull moment. You always have something to talk about. And it's really great when you can bring in bigger aspects to like being sustainable or being like health benefits or sourcing local and bringing those topics into the conversation as well. So I do have one question for you that came to the top of my mind as I was, uh, as you were talking. So when you think of North Dakota, you think of it's cold here. How can they have sustainable food? How can they, when they have snow nine months out of the year, how can that be possible? Can you shed light on that misconception? I would love to. Um, Yeah. So obviously we have a very, I wouldn't say challenging growing season, but we have the growing season that we are provided living in this part of the world. We have about three to four months that we can produce food in this part of the country. Um, and But in that window of time, we can grow almost anything here. We have amazing soils and abundant soils too. We have so much land and so much highly productive land that we can grow an incredible amount of food here. And we do, we produce tons and tons of the the grains and soybeans and corn and all of those things. But one thing that people are starting to talk more about is, you know, it's great that we grow all those processed crops that become, different grains or or flowers or feed for animals or things like that. But what if we took some of that and started thinking more about applying that to the fresh foods that we'd want to eat year round. And with modern technology like season extension and modern day greenhouses, there is so much more that we can be doing to add on time to the beginning and end of our season so we can do even more. And while food preservation is something that has been done was discovered long ago as a way to um, extend the life of our food. You mentioned canning, freezing, dehydration, all of those things. Those were the practices that our ancestors used 
who moved here and started lives in the late part of the 19th century, they did not have the globalized food system that we have today, expecting fresh pineapples and bananas from South America. And we can do a lot with producing a lot of food here in that window of time. And then we have incredible capacity to process that food too. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't eat any fresh food in the winter months. I, I wouldn't want to live like that. But there are a lot of really great, delicious things that we can do with preservation that allow us to have a bulk of our, our food um, still be within that, that locally grown. And, and I'll just preface one other thing too. You mentioned um, how can people eat sustainably and sustainability is one piece local, but there's so much else that goes into sustainability too. And thinking about people who are, are trying to eat more sustainably, um, that's, that's a loaded thing because that's talking about food waste. That's talking about the amount of energy it takes to create our food and knowing that there are certain foods that require much less inputs in water. Um, things like beans and lentils are one of the most wonderful things that we can eat because they have um, low water requirement as well as um, a low energy footprint as well. Um, and they also are a sustainable crop too because the way in which they're grown they fixate nitrogen, which is a greenhouse gas. They pull that from the atmosphere and put it into the soil. So thinking about sustainability, um, eating local is fantastic, but also thinking about how many meals a week am I eating plant-based proteins and trying to make those a bulk of my diet. And since you're in the wellness industry, and I know yours is very holistic with wellness, but we know that plant-based proteins are so good for our health too, right? So it's kind of this multi-factor equation when we're talking about sustainability, but um, just a few points there. That's great. You just gave us kind of like a taste test, pun intended. <laughs> I love it. I'm all about puns. If we can, if we can get out a pun every like five minutes here today, I will be so happy. <laughs> I'm game for that too. I love that. <laughs> so kind of touching on sustainability, like you said, it is, it is a huge topic. Like it could be like it is, you could get a degree in it. You can, you know, you can really build a career around that. Just, just the study of sustainability as, as a whole. Mm -hmm. um, but I love how you guys, uh, you and Gia and Jeff and Annie and Jeff and Annie. Yeah. That's, the, that's our food of the North team. That's the food of the North team. I love you guys so much. And I feel like I have to just share about what you guys are up to with the ugly food because yes, I'd love, love to hear about. It. So you think of this, like they have, when I first saw ugly food, I was like, what is this? Like, what is this? And when I, when I dove in and started buying it and just, and hearing a little bit about it and studying it a little bit, I was like, this is so true because I mean, you can, you know, we need to really look at food differently and how we can salvage food that is still good. So can you dive in and uh, talk a little bit more about that initiative? Yes, I would love to. So um, ugly food and, and educating people about the issue of food waste is really at the heart and the the birth of, of our organization. Um, this would have been, it's almost coming up on five years now that we started Food of the North, which is, is kind of crazy to think that we've been doing this work for that long. Um, but at that time, um, we, well, I personally was involved with helping to start the Red River Market, which is our downtown farmer's market. 
And um, through that work, really got um, the opportunity to get connected with a lot of local farmers and chatting with them and, and hearing about their um, opportunities and struggles with trying to grow crops in this area and get crops to market and get things that people want to buy and eat. And so we first started the market and we're looking at the vendors and seeing all this amazing food that they have out on their tables. And I just remember these conversations and talking with the farmers and like, oh my gosh, everything you have is so beautiful. Like, how do you grow all this beautiful food? And they're like, um, this isn't everything that we grow. And I was like, well, what, what do you mean by that? And they're like, well, there's a lot of things that we grow that don't look perfect. We have really wonky looking carrots and cucumbers and all this misshapen stuff, but we don't bring that to the market because nobody will buy that because people only want food that looks a certain way. And so after learning that, I was like, huh, that's crazy. So, you know, go home and Google and do a quick search of that. And there's all this information out there about this ugly food movement. And it contributes to the larger issue of food waste where in the United States, we throw away 40% of our food, which is crazy to think that almost two bites of food gets thrown in the trash. And um, so after learning that, we were like, we, uh, meaning I talked to some of my friends, Gia and Jeff, and we're like, we need to do something about that. So we talked to the farmer's market and we're like, hey, we'll put together a great marketing campaign to try to teach people about ugly food and say, you know, even though this doesn't look perfect, it is actually still awesome, delicious, and actually potentially more nutritious and flavorful because crops that are bred for nutrition and flavor may not have the same perfect aesthetic. So like the example that I always use when I'm talking with people about this is like a perfectly round red tomato that you buy in the grocery store in December, it can look perfect. But when you take out a bite out of that, it might have no juice, it might be flavorless, and it might have a cottony texture. Where when you go to the farmer's market and you see those super wonky, gnarly tomatoes that are multicolored and um, just have all this like crazy dimensions to them. If you get into one of those, it's like a flavor explosion in your mouth. So do not equate looks with the quality of your food. So we made funny signage for all the vendors to have with their stuff. We sent out a press release and the Fargo Forum did a really nice story. And like a ton of people came to the farmer's market and bought ugly food. And then two days later, we had a potluck where we told people, hey, you bought all this great food, now make it into something delicious and bring it, to our, bring it for our community to share. And like 100 people showed up for a potluck. And so we were, we were expecting that to just be a one-time thing. We just want to like have this pop-up event and educate our community about this. And everyone just kept saying like, this is so great. I've never thought about this before. If you guys do other stuff, we would love to be involved and just continue to support this idea. So from there, we just kept having different opportunities for people to learn. We partnered with restaurants that did meals around ugly food. Um, we had different educational events that taught people about composting, had chefs talking about how people can be more creative with food scraps and different things. So that's kind of like how um, all of that evolved to um, have ugly food be one of our big um, pillars of the work that we do. It is so incredible. And the things you say, I just resonate so much because like the tomato thing is so true. Like, and sometimes we walk into just to stores and the food is so perfect. I look at it and I'm like, 
it looks, it looks plastic in a way. Like, so it's mm-hmm. like when I see a, a good old heirloom tomato, I like to grab those up because they taste better than anything you ever, you ever think a tomato would taste like. Absolutely. And like, if you think about our, our global food system today, and for example, so if I am a peach farmer and I'm growing peaches down in Georgia, I have very specific crates and containers in which those peaches are supposed to fit into. So the whole system has been built in place to have everything be uniform in size, shape, and color so that um, it can all fit into this very well-defined, well-established food system that we have today. And there's a lot of good in that, you know? I mean, we have a very efficient food system. We have um, a pretty consistent and stable food system, but waste is one of the really unfortunate factors that we have in that very tight, well-developed system. And that's something that people are really starting to become in tuned with and pushing back on. And what's been, so we really focus on it. The work we do is more educating people and we're really about that local approach. So, you know, like going to your farmer's market and finding those things. If an ugly food slips its way in and getting into the grocery store, don't judge it by that. And it's very cool that there has actually been some um, like Cashwise grocery store here in Fargo. They have a misfit produce section And that has become one of the staples of their store. There is um, a company now that has been developed that buys the misshapen produce and packages and sells that as something that, like exactly like I was saying, this is still good. This is still high quality. Still buy this and enjoy this and you get a small discount because it may not look exactly like what you're used to buying. Um, But it is interesting to just see how how people are changing and how people are opening up to the idea of ugly food. And I think it's really, um, and I'm guessing you would probably resonate with this as well, but our generation is really become, is really in tune with the impact of our food choices, right? Like we're yeah, thinking great. from our personal health, but we are also really concerned and thinking about um, what is our impact of our food choices is doing for the environment. And that is only going to be something that grows, you know, like more and more, we are becoming more knowledgeable. There's more research. There's more evidence to support that food has a profound impact on the health of our planet. And it's going to be interesting to see, because I think we're already seeing so many changes in how people are are eating and shopping and what they are demanding from the food system. And it's going to be amazing to see how that continues to change. And I think that COVID is going to, I mean, we're already seeing that, but COVID is, is and will have a profound impact on, on our food supply and, and how people are changing their thoughts on food. I agree. I've been seeing actually a lot of positive, a lot of positive food decisions uh, you know, it's even stemming from cooking more at home to just thinking about food differently because of the, you know, the situation with us trying to, you know, kind of hunker down. It's like, okay, what do we have in the fridge? Even my own thoughts. I, I looked at the other day and I looked in my pantry and I thought, what do I have up here that I could, could eat that I haven't even opened? And I discovered some, they were some chickpea noodles. They were just chickpea flour, oh. which I love. And I ate them and I was like, these are delicious. And they're packed with protein. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, I just found a food I, I completely forgot I bought. And 
was able to make, you know, three, four nutritious meals out of that. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I completely agree. People are, um, I mean, we have more time right now. Our lives are a little less busy. So, um, it's providing more time for people to think more about, like you said, cooking at home, using what you have on hand. I've seen a ton of activity for people wanting to, um, buy more local foods. So there is a lot of activity with people trying to get in direct contact with farmers since farmers markets aren't open right now and saying like, Hey, what can I buy from you? Can we find a delivery point? Um, a lot of people looking to do more gardening, getting more in the ground, people wanting to have bees and chickens and, and all sorts of things. It's a really, it's a really interesting shift that we are seeing for sure. I agree. It's, it's really, it's really great to kind of see it coming back to those, like those instilled by our grandparents, instilled by those, you know, those hardy farmers and just kind of going back to that. Cause I think a lot of us have that knowledge kind of buried in the back of our minds. And, you know, we were in a lot of convenience mindset and now it's like, I've thoroughly enjoyed exploring food during this time and, yeah. and, and getting that in more impactful into my life. Um, but yeah, I just love hearing about that and hearing about how ugly food is, you know, in Fargo and I've been seeing it. I buy it when I definitely, when I see it and now is ugly food planning to be in other, any other stores this summer or how, how are you guys going to navigate that? So we will continue to work with the farmers markets. Um, we provide signage and marketing and encourage vendors to um, bring those foods to market. A lot of what we do now with ugly food is more focused on general food waste education. Um, so we still definitely emphasize the ugly food and saying, you know, if you see it, buy it. Um, if you're at a farmer's market and there's the opportunity, definitely um, purchase that. Um, but Knowing that 40% of food resources go to waste, a big portion of that food waste are decisions that make that people make in their homes, at the grocery store, and at restaurants. And so one of the big things in this whole food waste um, problem is educating people more on how to make um, better food decisions. And so we do um, pre-COVID, we did um, quite a bit of public speaking, going into classrooms, um, talking to different civic organizations, and and just sharing different tips and tricks for, for well, one, just help, some people aren't even familiar that food waste is an issue. I think it's becoming much more well understood because it's a pretty um, hot, it has been a pretty hot conversation the last few years, um, but also just providing like basic knowledge, helping people to understand the food dating system, um, encouraging, like really encouraging people to think about leftovers and getting over the stigma. I mean, whenever I hear someone say that I don't eat leftovers, I'm like, I'm not talking to you. Like, I, I, don't, I don't understand how people can be anti-leftovers. I love leftovers. I think especially like most things like soup and stuff is better the next day. Stews, flavor is much more enhanced. I'm a big fan of like uh, leftovers. Totally. So I, every time I give my food waste speech, I always tell people that I, when I'm at a restaurant and I'm eating with somebody and they have like half of their plate of food 
and the waitress or waiter comes and asks if they'd like a to-go box and they say no, like I almost want to flip a lid because I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, but I, I try to use the analogy or comparison um, thinking back in the 1960s littering was a very common practice. If we were driving in a vehicle together and I'd finished up a bottle of water and I rolled down the window and threw it out the window, it would be something that didn't phase people because it was common practice. And then through education and awareness and helping people to understand that it is a gross habit and it is bad for our environment and it's bad for animals, people stopped doing that. And while it is still somewhat of an issue. It is nowhere near to the degree it was 40 to 50 years ago. And so I am like just waiting for the day that it becomes like if we're sitting at a restaurant and you have leftover food and the waiter or waitress comes and asks if you wanted to go box and you say no, that people are like, oh my gosh, what is wrong with that person? That you become like socially stigmatized for, for wasting food. And I, I think it's going to get to that point because People are just, people care more. People care much more and they are demanding action. And I feel like people are getting a little bit more um, open and vocal about that too. I agree completely. I think it's, you know, it's a conversation even I have in my house with my husband and, and just thinking about how we can do our part. And I just, I love that you're, you're continuing that education that because it's, it's just going to open more eyes to this idea, to this concept, and people will be like, oh, you know, yeah, I really feel like, they'll start to feel that when they say no to taking their food home or like simple things like that, or, you know, maybe eat the thing in the, like I have a, my biggest thing is if I don't, if I have something in my fridge that I don't want to process, like if it's a melon or something, it'll just kind of sit there and sit there. And now I'm more like conscious of that. And I'm like, hey, I don't want to waste that. That's really good food. I bought it. So but I love that. And I, this kind of leads me into, you talked about some other ways we can, you know, people can get excited about food. And one of them is gardening. And you also worked on an initiative called the Little Freak Garden. Mm -hmm. And that's a great idea too. Can you tell us a little bit about the backstory and what Little Free Garden is? Yes, I would love to. So um, shortly after we started Food of the North in 2015, um, a lot of the conversations that we were having around food were, were important, but it was a lot of focus on the negative things in our food system, right? So we were talking a lot about waste and the challenges of local food and, and, and just kind of um, exploring those topics a little bit more heavily. And we started thinking as a group that we wanted to do something that was a really a positive um, community-based project that would really um, kind of encompass a lot of the values and positive things that we think about in food. And some of those things being that we believe that fresh food should be available to everybody who wants it or needs it. We believe gardening is a fabulous activity that is something that enriches people's lives. It's wonderful for physical activity and health. And that eating fresh food is so good for you physically, mentally, and spiritually. Like those things together, it, it. And so we came up with this idea for what we call Little Free Gardens. And the idea of Little Free Gardens is that you, if you become part of our Little Free Garden community, you commit to planting a small garden in a space that is publicly accessible. The majority of Little Free Gardens are in people's front yards. And um, when you plant that garden, you are the caretaker of that 
but the food is to be harvested by anyone who wants it or needs it. So it becomes this space in, in your yard or in front of your business or in front of your church um, that is providing food to neighbors and strangers. And we have, it has been such a, a neat project to be a part of. And I, I, I feel so lucky to be a part of this community of people that have chosen to become part of the Little Free Garden community because the people that have decided that they want to have Little Free Gardens have been so amazing in terms of what they have done to, I mean, these are people that are already really caring about being a part of the community and doing good by their neighbors. And they have just gone above and beyond to, to, to grow amazing food, to make their gardens beautiful. So it becomes this little community, um, like piece of art in the community almost that is shared with people. And, um, and a lot of them are also um, sharing their knowledge when they're out working in their gardens too. So if you're in your front yard garden and you're planting or tending to your garden, it's often a space where you can end up interacting with people out in your front yard. And I, every time I'm working in my little free garden, someone stops by and asks, what is that? What are you doing? And then you get to explain the little free garden. And you also get to tell them a little bit about gardening too. And there, it's surprising some people who, um, you know, you meet some people and they actually have a ton of knowledge about garden. One neighbor of mine last summer came over and she's like, oh my gosh, you need strawberry plants in here. I'm going to run home and get you a strawberry plant. So those type of interactions. Or you have people that are like completely foreign to gardening and you get to explain like, oh, well, I'm doing a square foot garden. I put something in each one of these square feet and um, the harvest will be ready in late July. Right now I'm just watering it, you know? So you kind of get to explain like the cycle of food a little bit to people too in, a, in, a, in an inviting, non-threatening way. That is amazing. You know, anytime the conversation goes to food, it's a way, it's like the one way every culture, everybody can connect. Mm -hmm. And it just is so inspiring to know that there's this way to get the community involved, to get people digging into the earth and connecting with their neighbors and feeding. I love that. Like you never know who's going to be walking by and who could just need, you know, instead of, you know, digging in the trash or digging in for, you know, a cheeseburger or, or something or, or begging for money just to have access to fresh fruits and vegetables that, will nourish them and hopefully be an inspiration to, to them in some way. And that's, that's, I think the really big give back and a really big, like, like heart fulfilling part of little free garden. Totally. And, and I will say one thing that we talk about is that we recognize that in most of the gardens, I mean, some people have definitely taken the little part to the extreme and they have made pretty big free gardens that they, they're like, I have this space. I want to grow an abundance of food to share with my community. And we're like, that is awesome. We love that. And we totally support that. And I will, so two things. The first is that the majority of our little free gardens are growing a pretty small amount of food. So we recognize that, you know, our little free gardens aren't going to feed the masses. But what we like about the project is one of those, I think that it really, it represents one of our big values that fresh, nutritious, healthy food should be available to everyone and everyone, to everyone and anyone. And hoping that that 
idea can ripple into other places too, in terms of our food banks and food pantry system, in terms of how we think about food insecurity in this country and how we are nourishing everyone in this country and, and, and really feeling that the food is a right and that food is something that, that all people should be able to enjoy and enjoy good, nutritious, healthy food. So it's, it's one part um, putting forward those values. And now my second point I lost in my, uh, my little soapbox I had there. Um, but I could, I could stop it there, but, but yeah, we just, um, recognize it. Oh, oh, now I remembered it. Um, the second thing that I wanted to say about Little Free Gardens is that we are not the only group that is a group of individuals that are working together to grow food, to share for free with other people. This is not a, a totally novel idea. There are other um, community gardening groups, other groups, there's just individuals that are like, hey, I'm going to grow a garden and just put a sign and say, free help yourself. The thing that we um, pride ourselves on with our project is that we have created a community of people that connect together around this. So we have um, a, a, a Facebook group for all of our owners, and they are constantly sharing ideas of what they're doing and what they're growing and how it's working. And, and so we've kind of created this caretaker community. And then we also have an online map that people can go and look on, and then they can see where all the little free gardens are located. So you're like, oh, which what's the closest one to me? And then you can find it and you can drive there or walk there. And the map um, is updated with what people are growing too. So you can go and see like, oh yeah, I really want cherry tomatoes. I'm going to that one. So, so that's kind of a fun feature of the Little Free Garden Project too. Oh, I love that. I like the, the, the community part and, the, and like the online, the accessibility and the, the education is continued and that is huge. And I feel like it's, it's such, again, like food is such a connector and growing your own food. There's something really special about producing food, you know, let alone cooking it and eating it and enjoying it, but producing it and to be able to develop a sense of, you don't have to be like super green thumb to, but to have a couple patio tomatoes where you can just grab fresh tomatoes and put them on your salad. Like nothing beats that. So it's, it's so satisfying. And there is something so therapeutic about gardening. There's something so therapeutic about getting your hands in the dirt. It is just so, I, I like, I, I think that you remember, you, you said something to the effect of, um, it's like our, it's like we're remembering something from our past and, and we all have agrarian roots. Like even if our, we didn't grow up on a farm or our grandparents didn't farm somewhere in your lineage, you had farmers, right? Like it's, it's almost impossible that we didn't, it is impossible. At, at one point in your ancestry, someone was growing and producing their own food or we wouldn't be here. And so there's something just human about growing food and it's real and it's productive and it, it just, it, it feels good. And, and in a world where we're, I mean, there's so much stress and uncertainty and chaos out there in the abyss and on social media and in the news, like just sitting with your garden and like, like digging around and finding earthworms, it sounds, it sounds weird, but it feels amazing. And I think there's more people are, are craving that and looking for that than ever before. I agree. I just love that. It. It, it's, it is so therapeutic because in this crazy world, like coming and coming home and like sticking your hands in the dirt, dig, pulling up a few weeds, picking a fresh cucumber, it is therapeutic and it's like, it brings us back to our roots. 
there's our second pun, brings us back to our roots. Nicely done. (laughs) And like gives us this sense of peace and simplicity. And I think that right now in this world, what we are craving and sometimes don't even know it is a sense of peace and simplicity. And one thing that we really um, emphasize with the, the little free garden and just anytime I think talking with folks that are, that are new to gardening or considering it, a little free garden is a small manageable amount of space. If you're, if you're new to gardening, I, um, anyone that I've ever talked to that's like, I'm a first time gardener. I'm so excited. I'm going to go till up a 20 by 20 space in my backyard and I'm going to get after it. It's like, no, 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 no. Don't do that because you are going to hate yourself in a couple months because it is way more work than you expect. So I think it's really good to, to emphasize to people to focus on something small and manageable. Like you said, a couple patio tomato plants, um, a little free garden, uh, just a small raised bed garden space. And then if you love it and you're like, oh my gosh, this is how I want to be spending my, my extra time. I love being out here. Then consider growing it more and more. But, um, but don't get too in over your head before, before you've tested it out. I've done that. <laughs> in my first garden. So I grew up with gardening. And so when I had my first house in Minot, I, there was a little garden space, raised garden in the back. And, you know, when you get the tomato plants, they're so tiny and cute. And I got like eight of them. And I had this huge abundance, as did my mom that year. So it was just crazy. So I learned, okay, Kayla, two to four tomato plants, different varieties. So you have like cherry, you have your, your big boys or what you have, whatever varieties you like. And that's all you need. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, a little yeah. bit can go a long way. <laughs> it really can, especially if you get a high producing plant. Like, and those tomato plants seem to go on forever. Like, I'm like, I remember last year at the end of the season, cause it was pretty, it was a pretty hot summer and it was like extending hot. So, you know, like having to harvest in 90 degrees, you're like, Oh, this is terrible. But I remember like towards the end, I'm like, are you not done yet? Like, seriously, how are you still producing tomatoes? I cannot can anymore. So yeah, it definitely gets to a point. And I think, I think most people with gardening would agree. Like, it isn't just pure rainbows and butterflies the whole time. Like you definitely have your points in it where you're like, this is the last thing I want to do, but I'm going to persevere because I'm committing. That is so true. I think my mom towards the end of the year, she's always like, won't it just frost already? Just one frost just to be, because otherwise it's like, again, that food waste comes to mind and you want to pick it all. You're like, all right, it's just time. And it, I've talked to many farmers who get to that point and, um, but it is, it is exciting. It's an exciting season. And I think it's just, it's so fun to see people smile and we, we hear about gardening and there's something just so wholesome about it. And so, so great. What we talked about at the beginning with our, um, just the place that we live in this world, you know, and like our, our seasons are so dramatic here that when we come into this season of knowing that we are going to be getting not only better weather, but fresh food and fresh locally grown food. Like it's just this, it's this wonderful new beginning that has like all this goodness attached to it. And, and just your optimism increases, your mood improves. It's, um, it's while we have the, there are the tough points of living where we live, but I love that, um, that, that new beginning that we get with this time of year with the, with the start of a new growing season. Mm-hmm. I, I've been seeing lines out the door at all the all the different stores, the oh, garden yes. store, baker, everywhere is 
is packed. And well, I'm really excited to kind of dive into your third amazing topic, your third thing that you're working on at the first Fridays at B. And this is, I remember I went to my very first one dead of winter this year and it was on gut health and Mm -hmm. how the gut was working. And at that time I was really in need of that kind of conversation just from, I think, you know, when we're in the winter season, our, our guts are kind of suffering and it just fit perfectly. So I was so motivated and intrigued by what you guys were doing. I brought my husband with, I was like, honey, we need to get involved. (laughs) So can you share with the folks a a little bit more about what First Fridays at B is and, and what you guys are up to? Yes, I would love to. So um, I mentioned that we started Food of the North in 2015, and um, we're doing a lot of different events after that. And most of those were educational focus. Um, At the majority at the beginning, were really centered around food waste. But as we um, kept having different events, we had people from the community saying like, you know, it's, I would really love to learn more about um, farmers. I'd love to hear local farmers talk about what they're doing. Or I would like some people who run community gardens to talk about what they're doing and so on and so forth. And so in our course of having these different events, um, we kind of realized that there was a need for a consistent community event that was around food and farming to one, educate people around different topics, but two, to give a platform for the amazing, educated, smart people that we have in our community to share their knowledge and information. And so we decided that we wanted to do an event the first Friday of each month at Theater B in Moorhead It's um, a bright and early 8 a.m. Friday morning, and you come in, and you have coffee, and meet other people, and there's a literature table where everybody brings all their stuff of different events that are happening, volunteer things, um, different ways that you can get involved with different groups, and then we have this event where we pick a different topic each month. You came to the gut health one, um, and I think have been through some of our others as well, Um, but we... We decide on a topic and then we invite these fantastic people in our food community to speak to that. And it has been absolutely amazing to, to hear and listen to all these um, extremely um, knowledgeable, passionate speakers. And we have covered such an array of topics. We have talked about pollinators, chefs, farmers, farmers markets, hunger, gut health, um, just last month we were, um, chatting about, um, grains and bread baking. And we, we, I think one of the things that is, is most fulfilling for myself personally is that when, when I really started getting involved in the Fargo local food community, I had just moved back. I'd, I'd gone to college here and moved away for about four years and then came back to Fargo and was excited by some of the things that I saw happening in the food community, but was, was kind of like, why don't we have a great farmer's market? And why don't we have more restaurants that are doing farm to table? And, and why is it there, you know, like X, Y, and Z from other places that you visited or other things that you had seen. And, um, and what I quickly realized after getting more involved is that there was so much activity and there was so many amazing people and there was so much good work happening around developing this really awesome local healthy 
well-connected food system. But so many of the people that were doing that work, they weren't marketing experts or social media people or um, developing great websites to share their story or comfortable calling up the news and saying like, hey, get out here and talk to me about what I'm doing. I think this is really cool. And so we were like, we can be that group. We can be the group that helps people to tell their story and share what they're doing and help people in our community to know that there is amazing stuff happening. And you, if you're looking to get involved, other whether buying product, patroning restaurants, volunteering with different groups, or just wanting to be a more knowledgeable person about what's happening in our food community, come to this event and we would love to curate these conversations for you. And to date, I don't, I should have told up the number of events that we had, but we're, we're well over 20 different first Fridays that we've had now since we started and over 60 different speakers. And it's been, um, it's been really great. Um, we've obviously shifted now. So we're not meeting at theater B during COVID we've been doing, um, zoom, we zoom meetings, but it still is great to be able to continue to have these conversations. And we can't wait to get back to a place where we can all be together again and, and chatting and communicating together. That is so true. There's something about meeting there. And especially when Leola brings some food or you have samples, we had olive oil once with um, Peter brought yep. olive oil that's from Greece. And like I met Peter and I was like, oh my goodness, you need to be, we need to connect. And so it's like, yeah, he should definitely be a guest on here too. <laughs> But yes, I, I'm loving what you're doing. I'm loving what, like, when I started going to that event and you see all the people you know, you, you meet new people, you taste different foods, you get to know different people that you can connect with that can help you, can bring you more further education, uh, like you doctors and, and people who have nutritional backgrounds. And so it's a really beneficial element to the community. And I, I feel like, especially now, you know, with it being, online maybe some other communities would you know could connect as well so um how can people find you guys and you guys have one coming up here it's on the fifth correct correct yeah and it's all about wine isn't it i know right and uh -huh. i know that we are both on here and we're talking about wellness and health but we both do enjoy a glass of wine every now and again right Oh yeah, more than I like to admit. <laughs> yeah, same, same. And especially during COVID, I'm like, I know everybody's been tapping into their wine a little bit more in quarantine. So um, yeah, so in we, um, as I mentioned, we have a different theme every month. And for our June edition of First Fridays, which is Friday, June 5th, we're having a conversation all about wine. And we have two regional winemakers, um, Greg Cook from 4E Winery and um, Mark, Mark Vining from Rookery Rock, um, and they both produce wines with, with local fruit and grapes. And it's really going to be an interesting conversation because they are both extremely passionate, not only about their process of making wine, but what, what using the products that are grown in the place that you live and, and making, making wine from, from locally grown um, fruits and, and, and grapes. And um, they they're knowledgeable, they're passionate, and, and, and really producing some amazing wines. And, and, and I'm excited for this conversation because I think that there is somewhat of a, a negative connotation that people have for, for local wines or fruit wines. And they have been doing so much work to um, develop really interesting good wines that are, um, that, are, that are high quality and very flavorful and 
and, and very, um, not those like Boone's Farm, overly sugared. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, that's not what I want to drink. So, so it'll be fun to hear from them. And then we also have um, a plant breeder, Harleen um, Hatterman Valenti. She works with NDSU and she is developing varieties of grapes that can grow in our part of the world, which is an interesting, um, an interesting uh, work and, and somewhat challenge, you know, because as we've talked about, we have, We've somewhat challenging growing conditions and, and grape growing is, is mainly been reserved to certain parts that have these more temperate climates. Um, but she's going to tell us a little bit about how she does that and what she's working on and some of the successes that she's finding. And, and Greg and Mark work very closely with her because they're super excited to start getting more local grapes that they can grow here um, to produce amazing wine. So it's going to be a fun conversation. You can find us on um, our website is foodofthenorth.com. Um, and our event is on our website as well as on our Facebook page, Food of the North. So it's free. It's open to anybody. And all you have to do is roll out of bed and log into Zoom and you can have a great conversation with us all about wine. I love that. Wine is one of my favorite things. It's, you know, they say it's loaded with antioxidants anyway. And I, I definitely, I know Greg pretty well too. And I, I've had his front yak and I've had a variety of different wines and they've been producing some amazing things. It's going to be a great conversation. Excited to hear more about those grapes because how cool if we can engineer the ability to grow our own wine grapes on a more like a, a larger scale. I'm just excited to hear about that. Um, that's, and I'll put everything that you said in the show notes as well with links to your website and your Facebook page. Um, is there any, I always like to end with a, a last question. Is there any last words of wisdom that you want to leave with our audience when it comes to food, sustainability, wellness, any of that? I think my words of wisdom would be to, if during this time of COVID and social distancing and having more time if you have found yourself being more thoughtful and attentive to your food, I would encourage you to hang on to that because I think that it is, it is something that brings tremendous joy and goodness in your life. And it is something that has a ripple effect in terms of um, not only the personal wellness and, and joy that it brings to you, but being a thoughtful consumer of, of food has the potential to have a great impact on those around you and the health of the world around us. So um, I would encourage you to just keep on the journey of, of being a good steward of our planet by, by the many, many things that we do, but hopefully the food choices that you're making. That is wonderful. Thank you so much, Megan. Thank you for joining me today. It's been a Thank blast. Thank you so much for having me. I've loved it. It's been a blast. I'm excited for this to just to share this with the world and you guys, thank you so much for tuning in here on radio free Fargo. And thank you for tuning into the wow factor. And we will see you next week for another great show. Bye guys.